and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. In this episode, I interview Dr. John Kleinig about Christian contemplation and contemplative prayer. I'll introduce him in just a moment, but I'm especially excited about this episode because it's the first of what I hope will be a series of back porch conversations on this topic of contemplation with people from across the Christian and religious spectrum. In fact, I already have another conversation recorded with Father Theodore, who's the abbot of an Orthodox monastery here in Colorado, and I'm working on getting interviews with some other well-known authors and thinkers, much like Dr. Kleinig. I really hope you enjoy these explorations as much as I do, and if you do, would you please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and then share these podcasts with your friends and family. That really helps other people who don't know about us discover us. And thank you. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Today we have an exciting episode. Our guest today is Dr. John Kleinig, who is a retired lecturer at Australian Lutheran College and an ordained pastor in the Lutheran Church of Australia. He holds a PhD from Cambridge and two doctorates of divinity, one from Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne and another from Concordia University, Irvine in California. He's the author of several books, including two commentaries, one on Hebrews and Leviticus, a book titled Prayer, We Speak to God in the Lutheran Spirituality Series, Grace Upon Grace, Spirituality for Today, a book which I often recommend to many people, so uh, one I like, and most recently, he's written a book titled Wonderfully Made, A Protestant Theology of the Body. And even though he is an Old Testament theologian by training, he worked at the pastoral and practical application and integration of all the classical theological disciplines, and therefore regards himself as a pastoral theologian. And the focus of much of his research and writing has been on the divine service and on Lutheran spirituality, which that last one is the main reason we wanted to sit down with him and have a conversation today. So Dr. Kleinig, welcome to the back porch. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. We really appreciate you taking the time on a Australian Monday morning. I know for us it's Sunday evening, but for you it's you're in the future. So it's thank you for taking the time. Yes, <laughs> Dr. Kleinig, I, we were emailing back and forth about this, and initially I had asked you to respond to the modern contemplative movement. I sent some stuff to you. And then you sent me back a really interesting email, and what really caught my attention was the latter part of the email, where you started to just briefly state your understanding of the Christian and Lutheran perspective on the contemplative movement, or on contemplation and spirituality. And I'm just summarizing one of the parts that really captured me, and I'd love to hear you unpack this a little bit. You said that the Christian-Lutheran approach does not depend on any one method, but on what we contemplate and how. And that the biblical model for it is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. So can we start there and maybe have you unpack that a little bit and tell us what that means? Certainly. Um, Yes, the story of Mary and Martha has been used traditionally in the church uh, to teach meditation and also contemplative meditation, but meditation generally. It's the classical story for teaching meditation, and not just for specialists, but for everybody. Now, just to clear something, sometimes uh, we need to be clear on our use of language. If I can just say, use the word contemplation. Now, there's a big aura attached to that, and it's unnecessarily complicated. Contemplation is a Latin term, and it means just to look attentively and intently at something. So it's a kind of looking 
in order to see what's not obvious to sight. Uh, so it has to do with looking in order to discover something. Now, the story of Mary and Martha, Martha is very interesting because you remember Jesus visits their home and she, he's there with them. And the, the, the contrast is between Mary, who is busy preparing the meal uh, for Jesus, and Martha, who sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to his word, what he says. Now, and Jesus uh, chides Mary because she's angry with her sister because she's not pitching in and helping her prepare the meal. All to human story. And Jesus says very gently, Martha, Martha, you are worried and, and are distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the one of the many things, uh, which is the better thing, the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. She won't lose it. Now, that story is very often applied and saying, okay, Mary is meditating and Martha is working. And so there was a tradition in the church which spoke about the active Christian life and the contemplative Christian life. You're, you're, you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And that was picked up by the monastic movement and said that you had ordinary Christians and then you had extraordinary Christians, the spiritual elite, which were the monks. Ordinary Christians lived the active life. Monks lived, left, lived the contemplative life. Now, that's not the, what the story tells us. There's not one way of meditating. Martha could have meditated and should have meditated as she was preparing the meal, Mm. preparing the meal for Jesus, focusing on him. But her focus was wrong. Her focus wasn't on Jesus, but her focus was on her sister Mary. She could have, if you like, contemplated Jesus as she prepared the meal, but she didn't. Her focus, her attention was on the wrong thing, and she was distracted in her serving. On the other hand, Mary had her focus, her attention on Jesus, but not just on Jesus. And this is the important thing when it comes to meditation and spirituality. Her focus was on what Jesus said, his word. And she didn't just look at Jesus. But she listened to Jesus. So uh, a particular kind of looking, which was also listening, listening, looking, if you like, (laughs) and looking, so looking, listening and listening, looking. That's what contemplation is. Listening, looking, looking, listening. And it has to do with being at the same time, all eyes for Jesus and all ears for Jesus, focused entirely on him. So if I'm, well, I guess the question that comes to my mind is, how would you say that to me now? <laughs> what what do I do now with that story? Does that make sense? Like, how do I Absolutely. follow Mary's how? example, so to speak? Okay, quite simply, okay. And this is where the practical part comes in if I can just make a very direct application, it has to do with two parts of, not just two parts of our life, but uh, the focus on two parts of our life, our devotional life, but also our liturgical life. So what we do when we meditate and pray, and that meditation is a personal thing. And you can see that from the story of Mary and Martha. It has to do with Mary's engagement with Jesus, her time with Jesus, taking time away from work and the distraction of work just to be with Jesus and to receive what he had to give to her. So on the one hand, it has to do with our devotional life. On the other hand, and the story shows this because the setting is communal. It has to do with Jesus coming with his disciples into their house 
and Jesus is there together, not just with Mary. So it's not just private individual engagement, but it's a communal engagement. Jesus with that little community, that little congregation, that little church. Now, in both those domains, the focus is on Jesus coming to us and we receiving Jesus. And we do that not by engaging in an unfocused kind of practice of meditation, open meditation, but on, by focusing on him and his word. Luther describes that most memorably. And, and, and this is not just Lutheran stuff. It, it, he builds on a lot of patristic stuff and particularly, interestingly enough, monastic stuff. Things that he learned as a monk in his formation there. And he puts it very, very simply. And I use this passage in my teaching of meditation, not just to pastors and experts, but to, even to children and to ordinary Christians, because there's no such thing as ordinary Christians, that every Christian is extraordinary. Um, and he, he, um, this is, comes from a little pamphlet that he wrote about what to look for and expect in the Gospels. He doesn't use the, he doesn't use the technical term, how do you meditate on the Gospels? Mm -hmm. He uses non-specialist terms so he doesn't spook people what to look for and expect with the gospels but there you have it okay christian meditation is connected with the scriptures and particularly the gospels now just listen to what he says he says when you open the book containing the gospels and read or hear notice read if, you, if you're reading for yourself or else hear how Christ comes here or there, and how someone is brought to him, you should therein perceive, uh, see, the sermon or the gospel through which he is coming to you, or you are being brought to him. Now, that's the thing. You see Jesus coming to you, or see you being brought to Jesus. For the preaching of the gospel is nothing else than Christ coming to us or we being brought to him. When you see how he works, however, and see how he helps everyone who comes to whom he comes or who is brought to him, then rest assured that faith is accomplishing this in you and that he is offering your soul exactly the same sort of help and favour through the gospel. If you pause there and let him do you good, that is, if you believe that he benefits and helps you, then you really have it. Hmm. Then Christ is yours, presented to you as a gift. Christ coming presenting himself to you and that happens by faith faith in the gospels the story the words of jesus so practically okay the focus then so the contemplation of jesus is the contemplation of him in the gospels hmm. can i have you well the here's the word that really caught my attention that i'm curious about it's the pause word. You said if yeah. you pause there. Yes. And and part of this is a personal question. I confess, for example, that I struggle to... I sit in the pew and I listen to the word being read from the front, yeah. Yeah. and I find it difficult to pause. But I also... I th maybe there's a deeper question here for me. I don't know. But it's like, what does that mean? What What is... I guess, I mean, I know it means literally just to st stop and listen, I suppose. Yes, yes. But, I got, but I find a lot of people that I talk to are really struggling with any sense of pausing. And maybe here's the deeper question. Yes. What am I supposed to be hearing in that? You know, I hear a story for, about Mary and Martha, for example, read from the pulpit, or I'm reading it in the yes. Bible. Yes. And I, 
it's like, am I supposed to look for more meaning in there? Am I supposed to be waiting for something to happen when I pause there? What's actually, what am I actually doing when I pause with that text? Maybe that's a dumb question, but that's what's coming to mind. It is not a dumb question. It's a fantastic question. It's the question of questions uh, in this. Uh, and going back to the story of Mary and Martha, the problem with me, and it's become more so due to social factors, television, stuff like this, the internet, is that I am constantly distracted. Mm. Like Martha, I'm so busy and my mind is always whirling. If you could see the way my mind was jumping around now, <laughs> you'd, you'd get quite sick uh, at the gymnastics that are going on. No, that, that, that I come totally distracted. And, and that's not just with spiritual things, but with everything. Hmm. I never really listen to my wife or my children. Hmm. And I don't enjoy them. And I don't enjoy being with them. And I don't notice what's going on in my life because I am distracted. But occasionally something happens. They say or do something and I sit up and say, oh, oh what's going on here? Um, it might mean that they, they get angry with me, which takes me out of that narcissistic self-focus on myself and my own concerns. Mm -hmm. It jolts me and grabs my attention. Now, if I can riff in two directions, <laughs> sure. um, I tell my students when I teach spirituality and meditation, in meditation is to look for the unexpected. Hmm. Because one of the problems is the illusion of familiarity. Yes, I know. I've heard this before. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really attend because it's all too familiar. So look for the unexpected. Or another way of saying is look for what doesn't make sense. Look for what's odd, strange. Mm. Look for what you disagree with, but look for the unexpected. Now, that's a deliberate, if you like, a device to uh, get people to attend. And then the second thing is to pause. Um, and then to focus on what's unexpected and not what's unexpected intellectually, because intellectually we uh, you know, uh, have a nice, neat system. We make sense of everything. We have our own little world up here in our heads. But look for what is unexpected that strikes the imagination, hmm. that, 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 that impinges visually on me. Yeah. Now, and, and, and then, and that goes in two directions. Say, for example, in listening to a sermon, focusing on and attending to two things. One is the thing that grabs me, grabs my attention. Mm -hmm. Not to try and you know, analyze it wholly, but the important thing in any sermon or any reading is that which addresses me in some way and it can be negatively that's which annoys me that's which challenges me um, and to focus on that and the same thing then in my own devotional life is to look for the unexpected the odd thing uh, because that's what's that's where the text that's where the word, that's where Jesus is getting at me. Um, that's where he wants to do something to me, give something to me. And there's some obstacle in me that prevents me from receiving it. So the pausing is, in many, I mean, I, it's difficult, although it happens unconsciously when you're listening to a sermon. What usually happens then with that point? is that I go off on a riff, a daydream. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. Uh, there's another second sermon that takes place, not from the preacher <laughs> or from what's read, but in my own heart. Hmm. And I still remember one occasion when I tried to do, when I was a seminary student and tried to do the right thing, and I would concentrate intently on everything 
that happened in the service, whether it was the service of worship or, or chapel services, but most of all, in my devotional life, I would try to escape distractions and I would concentrate on everything. But the more I concentrated, you know this, the more my mind would wonder. So one day I plucked up courage and decided to confront a lecturer whom I respected, a wise man called Dr. Zasser, who is a very formidable guy. And as he was walking from the lecture hall to the library, I said, Dr. Zasser, do you have a moment? And he kept on walking and said, yes. <laughs> and I said, Dr. Zasser, I have a problem. And he said, good. Well, that jolted me, no end. And I said, look, and he said, what's your problem? And I said, look, whenever I want to meditate or pray or whenever I'm in church, I find that I'm distracted. It seems, and this is, you know, was my take on it, that the devil is trying to distract me. And he said, who said it is the devil? Perhaps it is the Holy Spirit. And he left me standing there dumbfounded and walked on. Now, that's one of the best bits of spiritual advice I've ever received. Mm. Perhaps it is the Holy Spirit. So to follow the distractions, because mm. that's the point where... Uh, where I need to pause mm -hmm. because the Holy Spirit or Jesus wants to teach me something, give me something. And if I, even if I can't do it then, to come back to it. And so I don't know if you're like me then. Um, so I've learned then to, to know. Pause is to note you know, that thing. And, and, and not necessarily uh, just pause and stay there at that time. In many cases, I don't have the time or occasion to to but to come back to it later. Mm. Or probably better to let it come back to me later. Mm. Mm -hmm. Later on in the day, later on in the week, to, to reflect on it and to receive what's been given. So one writer of meditation says that the most important meditation happens when you don't meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you seed something at the beginning or the end of the day uh, so that it, it, it works on you and delivers something to you later on in the day. Hmm. And the way... Uh, or at, at night. Yeah. It wakes you up. <laughs> yeah. And even delivers something to you in your sleep. Yeah. So the way that you're using the word meditation here, it, the one of the definitions, and I'm not sure where I heard this, but is, you know, meditation is something like the ch a cow chewing its cud, right? Bringing yes. something back up. Yeah. And yeah, that's the old, uh, that's the old monastic thing. It's to rumination, which means chewing the cud. Yeah, is that similar to what you're talking about here, or Absolutely. is that this, this is rumination? Okay, which is chewing, digesting. Another image that's used um, early on, you know, right at the beginning of the church was that meditation is crushing a herb. Mm. Now, um, medicine in, um, until modern times were basically made from herbs. And to, to release the medicinal properties of a herb, you had to crush them. And the sweetness, but also the virtue, the power of the herb was relieved by being crushed. So meditation is if you like crushing the herb to, mm. to release its sweetness, but it also its healing properties. Because if you look at it, it won't do anything to you, but it's only if you crush it and take it in that it does its work. I'm not sure if you're making a distinction then between meditation and contemplation, but no. And I, okay. And I know that, you know, in the monastic view of, there was the kind of the ladder that you would ascend, you would work through yes. and then arrive at contemplation. Yes. And contemplation was often a, an attempt to have some sort of unity experience with God. Yes. In what you're describing, 
it sounds to me like there is a place for looking or being quiet before the word, but the difference Absolutely. is that the difference is it's not a um I'm not I'm not doing some work of ascent here, rather as yeah. the word comes to me and I can crush crush the word, you know, crush the herb of the word, um, squeeze it for its healing properties. Get its juice. <laughs> <laughs> then then there may be, and this is where I find myself, is like there may be a space for a pause that we that we frequently don't have often in the kind of broader Christian world yes. to look then to stop and look at the beauty of that word or the beauty of Christ or the message yes. or to experience. Uh, one of the phrases you said that really struck me in your email was that this approach has more to do with, so you said seeing in Jesus by hearing, the seeing hearing part, yes. but then the part was seeing ourselves as he sees us. Yes. And to me, that's the part where, at least in my own experience, that's where the pause has happened. When I've that's actually cool. paused, it's been, okay, taking the time to actually look and see and appreciate what, the way Jesus actually sees me, rather yes. than the way I see me or the way I project into his head what he thinks about me, which I do all the time. Yes. Am I honest? I mean, am I making sense there? Is that where you're headed or am I... That's you. It's you're exactly where I uh, uh, want to be. If I can pick up a number of things there, because you, you, there's there's a whole lot of things that come yeah. together. <laughs> yes, uh, there is a now. There's various aspects of meditation, and people. It's interesting that that that's not really a word that's used right. either in the Old Testament. There's other pictures that are used for it that describe it. Say the story of Mary and Martha, the word meditation isn't used there. Mm. But that's as it might, uh, uh, but instead it talks about listening and seeing and tasting and touching. Mm. Right? So all those experiential sensory terms come into play. Okay, so and 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 there's different people are made in with different mentalities, characteristics. And so there are some people who meditate primarily by doing. Mm -hmm. There's other people who meditate by looking, seeing, imagining. There are other people, most commonly, who meditate by listening. There's other people who meditate by touching, mm -hmm. uh, contact. All those are valid, but none of them are... You, you can't separate the their aspects. They're not separate things. You, you just and described all of my children, by the way. Each one of them has a different... <laughs> yeah. Look, it's interesting in teaching meditation is to, to get people to analyze or analyzing their basic mentality. I uh, There's a very simple little exercise that one can employ is to get somebody to present a problem to them that they have to solve a practical problem you know how do you get from here to the nearest shop and then say you know tell me how to get from here to there and to watch their eyes and to interrupt them so okay i'm not sure what, what do you say how, how where's that and to watch the eyes now this is not infallible but it's a pretty good indication if they are doing people their eyes will go down towards their feet. Hmm. If they're hearing people, the eyes go to the side, uh, whether it's right or left. If they are seeing people, it's as if they look up here to extract the information. However, that's just a, a, a very practical little device that I use sometimes. Okay, hmm. be that as it may, but that's very, very important is, is not to privilege any one aspect but or to give each one their due weight. Hmm. The second point that you make is very, very important, particularly to the Lutheran Protestant teaching and biblical teaching of meditation. Let's, let's just use the word meditation. Okay. Spirituality. There is the wrong kind of spirituality, which is trying to build a ladder by which we climb up into heaven and have a look around up in the heavenly realm. <laughs> now, the early monastic writers were, were, were contemptuous of this, and Luther even more so, uh, 
and what Luther does is, is uses the story, and this is not just Luther, but it's part of the large tradition, the story of Jacob's ladder, which is not the ladder up into heaven, mm -hmm. but the ladder by which God comes down to where we are. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the Jacob's ladder, uh, the end of John chapter 1. Um, you will see heaven opened and the angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus is the Jacob's ladder by which God comes down and meets us where we are, uh, where we receive him. Mm -hmm. There's a great danger in that attempt in speculation to climb up into the heavenly realm. And that's very spiritually very dangerous. Luther and the writers talk about that as the devil's way. That was the temptation of Adam and Eve. Uh, they're climbing up into heaven. The only access that we have in our spirituality to the heavenly realm is in Jesus, is him coming down and opening heaven for us. Is that, can, I'm going to stop you there for a second, maybe jump yes. ahead, but yes. that to me seems to be the connection to this idea of seeing Jesus the way he's, seeing myself the way Jesus sees me. Because yes. in this kind of contemplative Christianity space that's out in the world yes. right now, yes. and I think as far as I understand, even the monastics in some of their ways of going wrong, the goal was to have a unitive experience, to, 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 to lose myself in God or to experience God as, I, as you know, I'm, I'm lost myself in him. Yes. And the mistake is to think that I have to ascend to get it and to fail that's to right. see that I'm already unified with Christ. Like, that's, that's the whole right. point of the gospel. Christ came and has unified himself, well, has lifted me up into him by coming down. He has unified me with himself. And so that the, like, the really practical application of that, as far as I understand it, is something like one part of meditation, if that's the word we're using right now, yes. yeah. one aspect of it is to it to consent to that reality to to yeah. to stop trying to achieve it and start noticing enjoying that it's it. actually already here yes enjoying it yeah and there you go yeah enjoying it okay but it's already given to us in baptism in mm -hmm. jesus it's there uh I, i've had this conversation a couple times with people where it's uh, the question has been asked what does it feel like to be in the presence of god Mm -hmm. And my answer has been, I don't know, what do you feel like right now? I mean, like the point is that there's not, I don't, I don't need to wait for God or find some other place to go to God. It's Christ is present now with me. Yeah. And, and it's a bit like me being with my wife and I concentrate on the way I feel rather than on her. Uh, <laughs> sure. No, it's stupid. <laughs> uh, and it's a distraction. I've never and, done that, by the way. <laughs> no. <laughs> feelings are part of it, but they are a byproduct. Mm. And we all, there are no uniform feelings. There are no uniform subjective experiences. One of my lecturers used to say, God is not a Methodist, in, in that there are, there's no uniform spiritual experience. We each experience uh, what we believe, faith or Jesus, differently, according to our character. He condescends to come to us in our terms. It's different for each person, uh, according to their character and their needs. Uh, yes. So, so okay, I'm going to jump back then. So I'm definitely, as far as I can tell, a, an I person, a looker. Yeah, so am I. How does, what's your advice to the doers? What's your, if, if there's a, if there's a meditation, if there's a mode of meditation, I'm not sure what the word is here, but if there's a meditation that's suited to the doer, suited to the toucher, what's some of your advice there? Uh, for the doer, is, 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 it has to do with ritual, the importance mm. of ritual meditation. Folding hands, kneeling. Uh, in the Catholic tradition, it's, it's using the rosary to pray, but it's the doing of it and to focus and to have a, rig, a, a, a ritual, to go through a ritual in what mm. we do, and to do it with her whole body, mm. holding hands, going like that, kneeling. Also, uh, for doing people, is to, to go on a walk, uh, to walk it, and to talk it out aloud. So there's the doing 
well, uh, the speaking is, is, is the one that's dominant in our Protestant tradition, but the seeing is the other one. Um, just on the seeing one, there's one lovely little story which combines the seeing and the doing. It's a story told by a, pap, a Catholic, great Catholic teacher of spirituality, John Baptist Vianney, um, who tells the story about how when he came to the one place where he was the priest all his life, it was after the French Revolution, and the congregation had been reduced to a handful of people. Most of them were uh, old women. But one exception was a young farmer who would come there every morning before he went out into his uh, field to do the farm work. And he would go and sit in front. The, you know, the, the women would do the, the doing stuff, you know, crossing themselves, kneeling, going, performing their ritual meditation. But he would come and sit in front of the statue of Jesus. Sometimes it was just two or three minutes, sometimes it was longer. And, and Jean-Baptiste noticed this and he, he said, uh, asked him eventually, Buttonhold said, look, I, I don't want to check up on you, I'm just curious. What do you actually do every morning? He says, oh, nothing. I look at Jesus and he looks at me and we're happy just to be together. Now, that is the practice of contemplation. So each, each has its validity, each one. But the one place where this all comes together in some way is in worship and in the divine service and in communion. Mm. Right? And to lead to the other point, this pausing bit, that's all there. Oh, oh, just before we get to the pausing bit, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, God says that he puts his eyes in the temple and his heart in the temple. He puts his name and his eyes and his heart. And they're interconnected. His name, dealing with access to him rather than an idol. Mm. His eyes, not so that they see him, but that he sees them and then through that they have access to his heart now the 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 eyes of god and and the seeing if i can go on to the other point about pausing the the, the christian teaching on all the biblical teaching from beginning to end that has to do with the sabbath uh, god instituted the sabbath which was a day to do nothing to pause not just a couple of minutes but a whole day to pause from work and other distractions, not to do anything, but to give space for God to do his work in their lives. The author of the Hebrews picks that up and connects it then with the Christian life and hearing the voice of God, pausing mm. to listen and to receive and to see Jesus. And that's supremely in the divine service, in worship. So worship, and if it's done well, properly, um, has to do with a deliberate pause um, to attend and give space for meditation. Most Christians learn meditation from their experience of worship. That's where I learned it. And this is where I experience it, if you like, uh, most obviously in my life. Oddly, it's not in my private devotions. Hmm. I find that if I am not faithful in worship, my devotional life falls into a heap. But what participation in worship has to do uh, is, is, is it were galvanizes my, de my personal devotional life. Hmm. So Sabbathing. Now, uh, that's not something just something that happens automatically. It's something, it's a discipline. It's a discipline of stopping, pausing, doing, attending, but not doing nothing. It's a pausing to listen, pausing to receive, pausing not for an open-ended meditation, but meditation on Jesus, his presence. 
his gifts and being open to him seeing us so that we not only see him with the eyes of our spirit, but see ourselves and see our place in the world and seeing God the Father in Jesus. Jesus says, who's seen me has seen the Father. There's an interesting, in my understanding, the whole of John's gospel has to do with meditation and contemplative spirituality. If you're interested, just get a highlighter one day in an old Bible and look and, and highlight all the passages where you have verbs of seeing mm. and various kinds of seeing. But it begins in chapter one with a number of very interesting things. First of all, uh, it begins in 114, the word, God's word, his son became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen, contemplated his glory, the glory as of the only son of God. Mm. Now, there you have the word contemplate. And he says, no one's ever seen God, but he who is in the father's bosom has uh, exegeted him to us. And then you have a, a number of stories, and I can't go through them all, but you get this, there's a, a, a number of different perspectives. You get John the Baptist pointing to Jesus saying, behold, look, the Lamb of God. Uh, two disciples come and they see Jesus. Philip goes to Nathaniel and tells him he's seen Jesus and so on. And it, it, then it culminates with the fact that um, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, amen, amen, I tell you the truth, you will see, you plural, and here he's addressing all Christian, you will see heaven opened and the angels ascending on the Son of Man. But in that story, you have Jesus, there's little vignettes where Jesus sees two people. He sees Simon and he renames Simon as Peter. He sees what Peter will be, what he wants to make of Peter. And then he also sees Nathaniel and he sees that he is a man without God. He sees. And also, if you want to, if you want to have another way of getting into it, very practical, not sort of theoretical way, you can read the Gospels. And my favourite Gospel and connection with this is not just John's Gospel, it's there all the time, but it's more general. You can see it in Luke's Gospel, uh, where you have Jesus seeing particular people and in different ways. He sees, you know, he's in a house and he's teaching there, and the roof's opened, and uh, four guys lower a paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus. And we're told that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, uh, uh, Jesus sees the man himself has no faith, but his friends have faith. They bring him to Jesus. He sees their faith. And he sees the real need of the man, which is not healing from paralysis, but seeing that it's a matter of sin. Or uh, Jesus sees Levi at the tax booth and calls him to follow him. Jesus sees the widow at Nain and he puts his hand, touches the coffin. Jesus sees, and this is the... the uh, lesson for last Sunday in the three electionary, Jesus sees that terribly crippled woman. She doesn't say anything to him. He just sees her and he heals her. He sees that she is not just crippled, but she has a spirit of infirmity. There's something demonic going on her and he frees her from her infirmity. Uh, he sees the ten lepers uh, at a distance. He sees the rich young ruler who comes to him and he loves the guy and has compassion on him. But the, the one that I love best of all is that he sees little Zacchaeus. And here you get an odd conjunction. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he goes up into the tree 
because like all of us, he wants to see Jesus without being seen by Jesus. Mm. So in a kind of charade, <laughs> Jesus comes under the tree and he stops and he looks up and addresses Zacchaeus. He sees Jesus and he invites him into his home. So you have all those stories which focus on what Jesus is seeing. Now, we quite often tend to focus just on what Jesus does or what he says, um, but there's all those stories which have to do with mm, Jesus. Being seen being. and us being, I mean, that's the being seen by that seems so. That's being seen. And each one of them has a different, what's interesting, each one of them has a different dimension. He sees what the problem is. He sees uh, that person's call, that person's vocation. He sees the person's character, etc. The The Zacchaeus story had never kind of crossed my mind to connect the he's not wanting to be seen by Jesus, but wanting to see Jesus. Boy, that speaks, uh, cycling all the way back to the beginning when we're talking about pay attention to the thing that that uh, sticks out, that causes attention or the tension there's there it is for me right there right the i much prefer to know things about jesus that's right than for him to know something to know me you know not even to know things about me and i find that as a tension even in my own devotional life of like i'm, yeah. I'm perfectly happy with knowing facts but that's kind of kind of like me seeing jesus yes. without letting him see me <laughs> well, it's, or it's, at least it's not, not wanting only, to yeah, not wanting to but it's, it's not only um uh, spiritually but it's also in our personal lives we are all voyeurs. <laughs> we want to see without being seen. Mm -hmm. There's uh, the, 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 no, the, the problem of guilt and shame. We don't want to be seen as we are. Mm -hmm. And we are afraid of being seen. And if you like, the practice of meditation, or what Jesus wants to do is to show us that he sees us, but in a way that doesn't shame us. Mm -hmm. We have come into a shame society, and shame has to do with the fear of being seen. It strikes me so, and I'm I'm going to wrap us up here in just a minute. But so, thank you first of all. But it strikes me so strongly that the fear of being seen in my guilt and my shame is one of those drivers behind that kind of spirituality that says I need to climb the ladder because it's that that it's the purgative way, right? If I don't see me now as I am, let me clean myself up first. Let me get rid of all this bad stuff. And then you can look at me, Jesus. Whereas what we're talking about here is Jesus saying, no, I see you as you really are. And I love you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's even that the, when I was a little kid, I was taught and I'm not even sure my parents taught me this, but I was taught that Jesus couldn't be around sin. <laughs> and it's like, now I'm understanding so clearly in my life that it's exactly the opposite way around. It's like, he Jesus, <laughs> and he runs towards sinners and embraces yes. them. And yes. that the... But not in a threatening way. Right, right, right. And that that's the, if what we're t articulating here, if contemplation begins with Jesus seeing me, Yes. It's the heart of God. The God, the heart of God is the loving heart of God that would come from heaven down to be with sinners. Yes. And he sees me. Yes, I'm a sinner. He sees that. He's not confused. And that draws his heart towards me. Yes. Absolutely. Then, yeah, then one of the things about contemplation is learning to accept that, to notice that, to pause on that, to attend to that and receive it. Yeah, and this is where the Psalms are so helpful, uh, because in the early church, to meditate was to say the Psalms. Mm. And not just some Psalms, but all Psalms. <laughs> the angry Psalms, the hurt, the enemy Psalms, all uh, with all the human toxicity. Uh, just on that point that you're making, the one Psalm that deals with this is that wonderful Psalm 139, which uh, talks about God's inescapable presence. 
You can't get away from God. And the fact that he saw me already in my mother's womb before I was born, he has seen everything about me. He sees me through and through. And then you get the culmination of it, which is that thing. He doesn't just see me and seeing my sin and my problems, but he sees it in order to fix it up. Mm -hmm. So it ends with search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, but also refine me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, so whichever way we meditate, it has that side. We not only see uh, Jesus and God the Father, the Father's heart in Jesus, but we see ourselves as we are, forgiven, loved, uh, children of God, unified with Jesus, but seeing then also what Jesus is doing in our lives, which is to clean all those shameful parts and, and not just to tidy it up and to fix it up. Uh, because, as Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. The more we are purified, the more clearly we will see everything. That passage of Psalm 139, and I think we'll, we'll have to kind of wrap it up on this. The yeah. I have read that last part frequently feeling scared of it. Yeah. And then to grow in my understanding, to have Jesus make himself known to me as what his heart for me is. It reminds me back to the psalm of the one that, I don't know which number it is, but I con you constantly repeat the loving kindness, the God's loving kindness is, uh, oh gosh, what's the refrain? New um, every morning. Yeah, that it, and you just well, that's every... La that's Lamentations 3. I'm, I'm thinking of the psalm where it's... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yes, there's, there's, there's psalms like that, yes. Yeah, but it repeats his loving kindness over and over and over again. Oh, but yes, the, yes, yes, Psalm 136. And, yeah, yeah, thank you. That hammers home God's loving kindness so strongly yeah. that I can now kind of read these last couple of verses of Psalm 139 and say, search me, O God, know my heart. And it's, that's a really comforting thing to say in some ways, even though it's terrifying. Yeah. There's a real sort of surrender of saying, all right, Lord, you're trustworthy enough to let you actually know all the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> come yeah. and know it because I need help. <laughs> You're the doctor. Uh, I'm happy to let you do the x-ray yeah. uh, and fix me up. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Kleinick, thank you so much for taking this time with us. I'm so grateful that you would jump on and just talk to me about this. It's really, really been interesting. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. And to our listeners, thank you for being here. And may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostn.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostn.org/donate.